I want to get to the Bible today with you because um, I believe today is significant. I believe the next few weeks is significant. God, uh, God had moved in me a number of months ago now and said, um, this fall, this is where we have to go as a church. And so let's, let's get there. If you have a Bible today, find the book of First Kings. First Kings, they're going to be in chapter number 19. And I'm, and I'm excited to introduce to you today a new, a new sermon series that we are titled, we've titled Out of the Cave. Out of the Cave. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be talking about and taking a deep biblical look at the topic of depression and anxiety and mental illness. We're a church that we talk about hard things, and, and this is just what we, want, what we want to do and who we want to be, issues that are real, issues that are relevant to our culture, and there are few topics that we could say that are more relevant than this topic in our culture, would you agree? Uh, last fall, uh, we, we briefly hit on this subject uh, and there was, there's, there seriously has not been more buzz and talk and social media stuff and conversations had about those two weeks that we had on the topic of anxiety and depression last fall than pretty much anything that we have ever done. Uh, people who have never been to our church walked through the doors of our church because we were talking about this topic. And at that point, even at even then, I felt, man, this is something we need to spend a little more time on. And I needed more time to study. I needed more time to have conversations, but also just more time when it comes to Sundays uh, that we had to look at this. And understand, let me start with kind of this disclaimer to this topic. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a therapist. I took a counseling class as a part of my Bible college training, one of them, and I slept through most of it, okay? Uh, this, this is not my forte when it comes to this type of stuff. But listen, I do strongly believe that the answers to problems that we face are found in the pages of Scripture. And, and this is a scriptural topic as, along with a medical psychiatrist type of thing. Okay? And to be clear, I'm not saying that the solution to depression and anxiety is just for us to uh, recite Bible verses and say certain prayers and pray things away. Like, don't mishear me on that because I think there are Christians saying things like that and I think that's foolish. And so let me get that out of the way right now. But I do believe that deep down we are fundamentally spiritual beings, people who were created by God, living in physical bodies, that created by God in the image of God. And for me, that means that we need spiritual solutions along with medical solutions. And so write this down if you're taking notes. Your spiritual health affects all parts of your being, including the physical, emotional, and mental. They're related, they're connected, they're intertwined in ways that oftentimes we don't understand and we don't think about this. Now, here's the bad news when it comes to this topic. The bad news with the topic of depression is, and, and understand, when we say the word depression, we're using this sort of as a catch-all for mental illness. Uh, it's, it's our struggles in these times of darkness. I know that we have medical terms and different things, and maybe depression is only one of We're using that as kind of all of it, okay, for this. But here's the bad news. Depression has become the world's number one health problem, statistically, 
causing more deaths than cancer every year and ranking as the leading cause of disability in America and around the world. One out of every nine people are on some sort of antidepressant medicine at all time. One out of five people have been at some point. Uh, and over the past decade, antidepressant use has gone up 300% and it continues to increase. It continues to rise. That's the bad news. Depression is real. It is everywhere. Every one of us in this place would raise your hand and say, you know somebody who, ha- who has a battle with depression or anxiety. In fact, many of us in this place, this is your battle and this is your struggle. And this has been a real thing for you for years and years and years. And maybe you have, <coughs> excuse me, medical stuff that you, and, and, and depressants that you take and all of these types of things. Maybe this is you today, okay? There, there is bad news in all of this, statistics and all this. But there's also good news in this. And uh, what I found as I have read a bunch of things on this and studied this, more and more research seems to indicate that we may need to rethink some of our assumptions about this topic. And here's what they're saying. We may have more control over the variables leading to depression than we actually realize. Okay? In fact, one of the things I was reading laid out what doctors have identified as the 12 causes of depression, and we're just we're going to hit on some of those as we get through this. I'm not going to give you a list to this now, but listen to this right here. This is huge. Out of the 12 causes of depression that medical people put, and some of these are like trauma and different things, but out of the 12, only two are chemical-based. Think about that for a moment. Out of the 12 causes of depression, only two are chemically in, based in nature, okay? And, and just to be clear with this entire series, anything that you hear that sounds smart, uh, just know that I took it from somebody else, okay? I may not do a great job of citing every source and doing all of that. In fact, one of the main books that I, that I found super helpful for me is a book that I stole the title of it for our title, and the book is called Out of the Cave. Uh, and so you can read that if you want to in that. But most of it has been stolen. This is just, so I don't want it to come across like I'm plagiarizing. I have the best intent in mind. So just assume Wow, that was really smart. Uh, He stole that. Just assume that. Can we do that together? Okay. Uh, But let me read you a quote from this book as we set this up for today. There's a strong chance that what we often call the symptoms of depression come from areas of our lives in need of our attention rather than the disease itself. Conditioning from our culture and choices about how we live contribute to a host of symptoms, illness, and, con- and conditions falling under the mental health umbrella of depression. The latest studies reveal that many of the daily choices we make may be setting us up to be depressed. Many of, I'm going to say that last line, many of the daily choices we make may be setting us up to be depressed. Depression is real. It's very real. We're going to talk about a chemical imbalance is real. It's very real. We're going to talk about it, but the reality is that the way that we have been trained to live as Americans is often leading us down paths towards this issue. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about as well. God has laid out a beautiful way for us to live. And the further and further we get away from the way that he has laid this out, the more we set ourselves up for issues and anxiety and depression are issues 
that can take root in our life. Okay, enough of the, turn to your neighbor and say that was the longest introduction in the history of the world. And uh, let's get to the Bible. So stand with me all over this place and we're just going to read a passage of scripture for today. Uh, This is 1 Kings chapter 19. We're starting in verse number 1, reading all the way through verse number 9. It's going to be a nice little chunk that you can read with me and follow on the screen. So here's what it says, verse 1. It says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods... Deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Did you get that? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Let's pray. God, we, we just pause for a moment to invite you into this time right here, this moment that we have together. And I pray, Lord, that your very word would do something so significant that it would reach out and touch somebody in a real way. God, bring hope to someone who's, who's hopeless today. We pray for that, and we pray all that in the name of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. All right, here we go. Fascinating story that we have just read. And actually what makes it even more fascinating is what immediately happens right before what we read. And so uh, verse number one hints at this. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now that sounds like a story that we should talk about. He killed all of the prophets with the sword. Chapter 18, we just read chapter 19. Chapter 18 tells this long story, and I'm going to try to go super fast through it, but there is a confrontation that happens between this prophet named Elijah, and Elijah is a, a prophet of God. He's the good guy in our story, if, you don't, if you've never heard this before. And he is going to confront 850 prophets of this false god named Baal. There is this, uh, there is this amazing battle that's going to happen, I guess, is the way that you could do it. And there's a challenge, and the challenge was this. Both sides, and this is a public thing in front of all the people, both sides were going to build this altar. They build this in a way you could call it a big old fire, but they're not going to light it. 
And they put all this wood and all this stuff on it. And then they take an animal and they slaughtered it and they put it on the top. It was this sacrifice and they had these mirroring altars like this. And each side was going to take turns to pray to their God and ask the God to light the fire for them. And whatever God shows up and miraculously brings fire would be the winner, would be the real God, and the other side would be the losers. This is the story that we have right here. Well, these 850 prophets of Baal, they, all, they go first. They build this altar. They start praying to their God. They're doing chants. They're dancing around the thing. They're even cutting themselves and bleeding and doing all of that type of stuff is what's going on. They're trying to get their God's attention. And this continues from morning until noon and nothing is happening. Now, let me read to you what, what happens? This is verse number 27 of chapter 18. It's like right before what we read already. It says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Can you picture this? The one guy is now taunting the 850 of them. He says, surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder, slashed themselves with the swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. 850 dudes cut themselves all over the place, dance and pray and sing and all this stuff, and nothing happens. All day long they do this, and this is the story. Now it's Elijah's turn. Elijah's the dude we just read who wanted to end his life underneath the tree, okay? It's Elijah's turn. He builds this altar. It's huge. And just to rub it into the other side, he has, he has these servants fill all sorts of water jugs up and they douse the entire thing with water over and over and over again. The wood is soaking wet with water. And let's read what happens next. Verse 36 at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah then commands that the people seize these 850 prophets of Baal and all of these false prophets are slaughtered. Cool story, huh? Yeah, that's the story right there that we missed from chapter number 18, okay? And all of this leads to the story that we're going to be focusing on for even the next six weeks. Elijah has this supernatural experience <coughs> with God where God does a miraculous thing in public. It was incredible. The people are amazed. God is glorified. In the wake of all that is amazing, then here's what happens. Okay, and this is chapter number 19. Now we're just going to go through this a little bit and talk about it in, in light of what has just happened. So Ahab, verse 1, told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Ahab and Jezebel are the kings and queens of northern Israel at this point. 
Jezebel was a foreign princess that actually married King Ahab, but that's a story for another day. Well, Ahab tells his wife, Jezzy, that's what he called her, what happened. Uh, and, and when she hears what Elijah had done, here's how she responds. And this is verse 2. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. It is a, it is a threat that she is off to kill him. She's going to kill Elijah. Now God has just done a supernatural thing. Elijah's life was on the line a moment ago with all these prophets and all this stuff, fire and altar, but God shows up in a supernatural way, provision and power. You'd think that after all of that, Elijah would be cool. Elijah would be confident. Elijah would be like, I have faith in my God that my God can do anything. Who cares about the word of this woman? It does not matter. Verse number three, though, Elijah was afraid and ran for his Life, the prophet of God who has just had this supernatural moment is scared out of his mind and he runs for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. How the guy just leaves his servant and walks, wanders all by himself while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush. I don't know what a broom bush is, but that sounds awesome. Like I'm picturing brooms hanging from it. Anybody else? No, I'm the only one that has a mind like that, I guess so. But he sits down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. We're going to talk about that line in a couple weeks as well. I am no better than my ancestors as he has this weird comparison thing going on in him as well. Okay? And what we're going to see over the next few weeks is that Elijah is going to end up in this cave. It's a physical cave, but there's symbolism in all of this as well, because this cave is going to become a symbol of depression, a symbol of uh, like sadness and fear and anxiety. Uh, and we're going to find that this story is filled with all sorts of different pieces to the topic of depression, uh, both things that led Elijah to this place and things that with God's help led him out. But sort of as, as an introduction to this story and an introduction to this topic today, I want to talk through and just make a few observations from this story. Things that I believe need to be addressed from the very beginning of this topic to our church so that we can kind of build on where we're going with this. And so write this down if you're taking notes. Here's number one, and there's three of them. Okay, Number one is this. The darkness of depression is real even when you're living in the light of God's grace. And now that's just a very fancy way of saying even Christians get depressed. Okay? Even Christians get depressed. And for some of us, that seems ridiculous that I have to say that and then we have to say this out loud. But listen to me here. There has been and there is in other places, and, and sometimes I even hear things like this in our church family, there is a stigma when it comes to this topic of depression and anxiety. And the church as a whole, 
not just our church, but just the Christian church in America has not done a very good job with this topic because we talk about the joy of the Lord and we talk about life more abundantly and we talk about peace that passes all understanding. And if we are not careful, we can create this culture that just kind of screams, true followers of Christ do not struggle with this. And we can create that if we are not careful in the way that we word things. And it's time for us as a church specifically to just understand that that is not accurate. It is not true. That, that may be other churches and other Christians in the way that they talk, but it's not going to be us. It's not going to be us. Our story today is of a mighty man of God. In fact, Elijah is a superhero of the Bible. He truly is. There's a story from the life of Jesus where this man named Elijah comes up. Uh, Let me read this to you from Matthew chapter 17. This is now thousands of years after Elijah's gone and dead and we have Jesus on the scene. It says this, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him. I don't, you know, that's kind of a weird word and say, what does that mean? Well, his face shone like the sun. This is talking about Jesus. His clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Supernatural moment in the life of Jesus and these three disciples. They're on this mountain. Crazy, crazy things start happening. Jesus is glowing. Okay, a voice comes, and two dead guys show up in the story. I don't know what this looked like. I don't know if they were floating or talking or standing. I mean, who knows? Did they look like ghosts or were they like people? We don't have any idea. What, here's what we do know. Elijah is one of the two guys that shows up to Jesus here. Moses and Elijah. Elijah is one of them. This is Elijah from our story. Elijah did incredible miracles. When you read about his story, he raised a girl from the dead. Uh, you, you can read that. He parted the Jordan River and they walked through the middle of it. He was a miracle working, supernatural prophet. And actually, James chapter 5 says this Elijah was a man just like us, is what it says. And it's this man, superhero of the Bible, miracle working prophet of God, who finds himself sitting under a tree, suicidal. And he's going to find himself in a cave all by himself, uh, sincerely broken and hurting, depressed and fearful. This is the man from our story. A lack of purpose is going to come. It's time to stop pretending that Christians don't get depressed. And, and here's why. De- depression, you, talk, you, you hear it, we, we talk about it. It is, it is and can be a disease, a medical thing. And for some of us, this is a reality in our bodies Uh, there are many of us, we cannot grasp the idea that depression is a medical thing. We cannot grasp that idea, but understand medical doctors use it in the same language as they do cancer. A medical thing where things are not right in their body. We also, like, like, 
Uh, sometimes depression isn't a disease. And again, we're using this one word depression as kind of a catch-all for this. Sometimes depression comes straight out of our lifestyle. It's a result of the way we live. And this is really what we're going to focus on over the next couple of years. But understand this, you can be free from your sin, but not free from your lifestyle. If you are living your life a hundred miles an hour overwhelmed all the time, not eating healthy, not getting rest, not doing the things that you need to do to keep your body and your mind in the right place. I don't care if you're a Christian, you're going to struggle with your mental health. Wow, like zero people agreed with me. You just, you ever stand on a stage and feel like everyone's glaring at you? You ever felt that before? Not that that's happening, I was just asking a question, Okay. But listen, Christians get depressed and we desperately want our, Christ, our church family to be a place where people are free to express their, express their hurt, their pain, their anxiety and get help for that. Come on, somebody say, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> okay, um, number two, and we'll move faster through these as we're getting ready kind of um, today. Today, this is just an introduction to this topic, some things that need to be said in an introduction to our story. The next five weeks, we're going to look at five things in the life of Elijah in this story that are super relevant to us today and things that cause depression in our lives and things in ways that God frees him from that, okay? All right, Uh, but we want a place that does not that we want, a place, we want to be a place that offers help, encouragement, and hope, not guilt, shame, and judgment. Number two, write this down. Depression often comes at the heels of spiritual and emotional high. Sometimes the lowest moments in our lives come immediately after some of our highest moments. And it does not make sense, but one of the worst days of my life as a pastor comes every single year, and it's Easter Monday. It does not make any sense. Okay, Easter Sunday, we have hundreds of people here, all sorts of amazing things, people responding to the message of Jesus for the very first time. We're praying with people. We're seeing God do incredible things. We're doing multiple services and packed houses and all of this. Social media is full of people sharing pictures of the church and all. Understand, it's this beautiful day with so much good. And if I'm honest with myself, often it's that Monday that I feel like quitting, like none other. It does not make sense. Why, like, and maybe you can relate uh, our story with Elijah. That's his story. His lowest moment are, is right on the heels of some supernatural stuff that happens in his life. Did you catch that incredible transition? Elijah stood alone and God showed up. And he uses him mightily and hours later he wants to die. It doesn't make sense except if you think of it this way, when you are at the top emotionally, there's really only one way to go. Does that make sense? And so just understand that. We'll come back to this and some different things that we talk about over the next few weeks. Depression often comes in the heels of spiritual and emotional high. And finally, number three, and we're going to end with this today, and this is just what I want you to hear as, we're, as we walk out. I want you to feel this. God responds to Elijah's raw honesty with tender mercy. He responds to Elijah's raw honesty Okay, and this is a little peek into the future of what we're going to see in this story is that Elijah doesn't try to cover up his feelings. He doesn't pretend that he's fine. He's actually quite raw about things. 
and we see God not respond with judgment, not respond with disappointment, but we see God respond with tender mercy and meeting his needs in different ways as Elijah allows that to happen. That is the God we serve, a God who loves us, a God who loves his creation, loves his children, and is happy to show kindness and mercy to those who reach out to him in that, okay? Now listen to this, four statements, and I'm gonna pause after each one to sort of let this sink in for a moment. For somebody here today, uh, hear these words. God knows what you're going through, and he loves you. God knows your thoughts, and he promises to renew your mind. God knows your weaknesses, and he promises to give you strength. And God knows your gifts, and he has a unique assignment for you. Just live in that and feel that today. Music team, will you please come? Now listen to me, listen to me. I do want to take a moment and just kind of address this. You, you might be in a cave right now. And a cave of depression, a cave of anxiety. <coughs> and you may have been in this cave for a long time. It could have been, it, it, it could be decades that for you, you have felt hopeless. You have felt like there is no way out. You have felt like things could never get better. Things could never change for you. You may have tried medicine. You may have tried doctors. You may have gone through the list of all this stuff and you feel like nothing has helped you and this is your life. And I just felt, I just felt as I was putting this together, that God wanted me to say, I want you to believe again that things can be different. And this line right here just jumped out at me as I was writing, and so I even wanted to put it on the screen, and that is just this, freedom is closer than you think. And it doesn't mean that this is an instantaneous thing where everything in your life is like switched in a moment because because I think we understand that some of this takes work, some of this takes change, some of this takes things that have to be different in our lives. But freedom is closer than you think. And, and I know, I, like, I, I don't understand. I, I don't know what you have went through. I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what kind of trauma you have in your life, in your past. I, I, I'm fully willing to admit it. I, I don't know the medical treatment you've gone through and the psychiatrist that you've tried. I don't know your journey, but I'm just crazy enough to believe in a God who has more for you and a God who is there and a God who wants to be help. Will you stand with me all over this place? Next week, next week, we're going to talk about imbalanced life and one of the crazy things about this story and maybe you caught it in some of the things we read is like Elijah sits down and says I want to die and an angel shows up and says eat some food did you read that like, what a weird thing I mean you'd think he'd be like be changed or do a miracle or something he's like eat some food Elijah and 
what we will find is that oftentimes there are things in our physical life that are lacking, things in our physical bodies that need adjustment. And sometimes the answer to some of our issues is actually just like, why don't you eat? Why don't you get some rest? Why don't you do like, and uh, I'm excited to explore that with you next week as just a next step in this. But before we're done, just with no one looking around for a moment of just a kind of privacy and reflection, who here in this place would just be honest with me and just say, this topic is very real to me. And, I, and, and <clears throat> will you, Pastor, be praying for me over the next few weeks? that something happens in my life. If that's you, just show me your hand. How many would say, wow, I mean, there are hands all over this place. You are, you are not alone. There is a massive, a massive number in this place. God, I pray, I pray for those today who even are lifting up their hands, saying this is, a, this is an issue for me. God, I pray that as we explore this topic from the Bible's perspective that we would practically begin to change things, but we would also just be raw and honest with you and allow you to work in ways and in places maybe that we have um, closed. And so God, we just pray for supernatural things. We also pray for practical things to happen. Uh, and so we give this to you, God, in your name we pray. One final thing here before we quickly pray together for the hurricane and do that stuff quickly. Uh, but maybe you're here today and you have never responded to the message of Jesus. Maybe this is all new to you and, and I'm not talking about being baptized or confirmed or even going to church. There's this personal thing where you say, God, I receive what you have done and I respond to you personally, you do that. And with no one looking around, maybe you're here and you would just say, I have never made a decision personally to respond to the message of Jesus and I want to do that today if that's you will you just show me your hand I just want to pray for you thank you thank you and, and if you're watching behind a screen right now you can respond as well just, just there's a button you can click or you can just you can do that but anyone else in this place that would say yes that's me thank you you can put your hand down church, let's just pray together. These aren't magic words. This is a heart thing between you and God, but let's pray this together. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, will you put your hands together?